Good morning. I greet you in Jesus' name, the one who we trust in and who our meeting is all about here this morning. Uh, it's so good. It is so good to see everybody here and to see those that were injured or fighting sickness here, and uh, it's just uh, a blessing. Uh, things could be so different, uh, and just uh, welcome to everybody that's here. Uh, Tyler, back for uh, just for a visit or going well in there? Good. Lord bless you for, for that there. Sunday school people back. So thrilled at the testimony of Maranatha Bible School again. Uh, just it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of rearranging of schedules. But a lot of people that are sitting in this room have spent time there and strengthened their grip. And has changed some lives and so forth. And again, this time, thank you for Eric and family for, it sounded pretty rough to be sick the last week and have a lot of sickness down there. Lord's blessing on, on your family and you. I was so blessed this morning with Caleb's devotion and Ben's sharing. And I just, really from the heart, wish that we could sit and talk a little bit more. We were getting to some things that are hard to sort out sometimes, and I, I just appreciated y'all input and, and the discussions. And, I, and it was on my mind, some of those things. And uh, Tim Keller, in one of his books shares about a lady who came to his church and uh, he saw her come into church once in a while and and she'd leave pretty quick afterwards and in New York City and uh, he caught up with her one time at the back door and said hey how's it going what what brings you here or you know just to talk to her and she said I don't even know if I agree with what you people teach uh, and he said, well, what, what brings you here? She said, well, I work at a big company. And after I started, just two or three months after I started, I made a serious mistake, uh, a career-ending type of mistake. And I figured I was going to be fired. And my boss took the blame for it to his bosses. And it cost him something. And it cost him some equity and some uh, some status and some standing. And he said, hey, don't fire her because if anybody gets fired, I get fired. Because it was my fault because I didn't do the training that I should have. I didn't tell her about this and that's why she made that mistake there. And he took the blame and she asked him, why did you do that? And he said, he was modest about it. And he said, hey, we, you know, we all do that. You know, we all. And she said, no. And she pressed him on it a couple times. Because she had been used to, in the past, people taking advantage of her ideas and taking the benefit of them or the... the but she had never been where somebody took her mistake 
and blamed her. And so she kept pressing him on it because she was so grateful for it and she, she pressed him on it. Why? Why did you, why did you take the fall for this? And he finally said, okay, I'm going to tell you and I'm going to tell you one time and I'm only going to tell you because you made me tell you. He said, I'm a Christian. And he said, I had one in my life who took the blame for my mistakes. And so it tends to affect the decisions I make. The reason I make the the decisions I do sometimes is because of what Christ did for me. And it was the motivation... I had to think of what Todd taught last week about a different kind of love, a different kind of motivation, a different kind of anchor, a different way to make decisions. So let's think about this for a little while. Uh, He took the fall for a stupid mistake that she made. Does it say anywhere in the Bible that we have to do that? Ben was starting to get there as far as what are, what are our rights? What, what do we have to do is sometimes how we think. But he thought differently than that. I, I don't believe there's a place, you, you can dig down deep enough and dig down a little bit and say, you know, do unto others as you would have them do. But I believe he could have been a Christian possibly without taking the fall for her. So, what do you think? Is that something that he had to do as a Christian? But to him it was a different way of thinking. When she pushed him, not because he was ashamed, not because he was trying to hide the fact, but in a big company where in New York City where there's a lot of unbelievers, when she pushed him, he finally said, okay, I'm going to tell you why. I'm a Christian. And that was the answer that he gave there. I'm a Christian. Because of what Christ did for me, it tends to affect my decisions or how I feel about things. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are who we are. Just a couple other examples. We were talking about Paul this morning. Um, and in Second Corinthians 8, he's having a discussion. And he's... Uh, Asking people to step up to the plate and give a little bit, give money, give big time money. He's asking for it. And, uh, it's interesting how he said that. He didn't say, I want you all to give more money because here's the teaching on tithing. Uh, and he could make a case, I believe, in the Old Testament and the New Testament on tithing. He could have said, this is my argument why I think you all should step up to the plate. Or he could have used his authority, and he mentions that. And he decided, he said, I'm not using it. He said, you know, okay, I'm a bishop, and I could say, hey, look, guys. And he would have been right to do that. But he's he mentions, I'm not doing that. And the argument that he has for him is because of what Christ did for you. I'm asking you to step up to the plate because of what Jesus did for you. And another, and, and he uses this argument so many times in the New Testament. 
why should I do that? And he doesn't go to the old Jewish laws or the New Testament teaching. He oftentimes says, you know, when, when our son says, hey, why do I have to do that? And we often say, well, because I'm the dad. Or, or I did. I, I think you are more polished than that. But I, that was my common answer because I'm the dad. And that settled it pretty much. That was, but Paul is, Paul often goes to this, okay, I want you to do this or act this way or make this move because of Christ. Because of the gospel, which is Christ. The good news, which is Christ. It's Christ. And so, he has Christ as his head. I'll give you one more example. He's talking to Peter about, uh, about race and about inequities and so forth. And, uh, they're talking about, uh, he's scolding Peter a little bit. And it's that time when Peter was backtracking and treating the ones who didn't circumcise with a little bit, he was being standoffish about that. And he wanted to look good in his group. So he wasn't doing the right thing. And Paul scolds him on it. And he didn't say, now that's enough of that. Here's why you should treat them people like that. Or here's the teaching. What he scolds him on, he says, the reason you should do what you should do here is because of Christ. Because Christ. That's the bottom line. Because of Christ is, is the motivation. And I'm, I'm looking at Colossians, and we're not going there yet, but I'm looking at Colossians, and because I'm, um, look, Colossians, and a couple of Paul's letters bug me because he spends oftentimes the first three chapters on the sufficiency of Christ. And then he gets to the meat, the good stuff, like wives obey your husbands, stuff like that. And so whenever I do a book like that, I feel like i got to start on chapter 3 or 4 to get to the right to the meat. And I've been thinking different of that lately. I see that if you get the first part of his writings, if we grasp that from the heart and, and we get a hold of that, the rest falls in place a little more. So, his first chapter is about Jesus as sufficient and king. And so, we're going back to Samuel, First Samuel 8. I came across it lately and I was thinking of how we want security in something or we want to get our feet on the ground and we sometimes uh, resort to something else besides Christ. First Samuel chapter eight. Uh, I I'm so these Old Testament stories they have a story, but there's so much left unsaid. But you know it's it's not just a part story where there was there, there was feelings and there was issues and there was dynamics, just like there is in our lives today. There's so many things that come to bear on our decisions and and motivate us. And Samuel eight. And it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel and the name of his second Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba and his sons walked not in his ways. 
But they turned aside for lucre and took bribes and perverted judgment. So, his, if you can feel this, um, the people come to him and they're talking about his sons. Uh, it's like when your teacher comes to you and says, I have to talk about your son. There's a dynamic there in Samuel's life that he's saying, okay, let's listen to the, what they, and they, and they say, you're old. And they're going to tell him, we want somebody else to, to lead over us. We'd like somebody else. You're old. And uh, it's not working. And your sons are not doing what they should do. They're taking bribes. Like what, what a judge is supposed to do is hear a story, get the facts, listen to it, and... Tell him what's right and what's wrong. His sons were saying, hey, uh, how, what's in it for me? I can see that you get that building permit, but um, what's in it for me? You know, that's what they were doing in the land, and it was bugging the people, which it would. It, it would be a problem. And I don't know why his sons, you know, we look at these dynamics and we don't know why his sons were bad. He had a chance to watch Eli with his sons. Eli's sons, uh, had more of a lust problem than they had a money problem the way, and we don't know all the things, but he saw that dynamic and now it's so interesting. I, I just, when you're 20 and 30 and so forth, I, I, I love to watch you enter each chapter. When you have three little ones sitting on your lap is when you know what your parents went through when they had three little ones sitting on their lap. They say, oh, okay. and and each chapter is so interesting to me. Sometimes when I hear a young person talk, I'm grateful for the time when his children are teenagers. <laughs> I just, because each chapter has challenges. And each chapter, and I don't know what um, what was happening here, but his boys weren't following. And uh, uh, our team was sitting around, the uh, ministry team was sitting around talking about how challenging it is to raise a family and go to work and and do the ministry. And sometimes you don't know where the priorities are. And I don't know if that's what, uh, you know, if Samuel was gone pretty much, if he was, uh, was, was just really busy or what the deal was, but somehow his sons made the wrong choices, which they do. Uh, and, you know, I w- we were at a church lately and they didn't have any children or youth. And I was thinking when when we came back here, I was I was so blessed by the families that are sitting in the pews here. I I am so and and I want to encourage you take time to work together and to play together. It's different than it used to be. We used to work more together and I think that's such a blessing in in, and that's passing some. And so we hear this thing of, I don't spend very much time with my children, but it's quality time. I get that. But 
Boy, I'd like to encourage you. It goes so fast. And you guys know that. So you were just married and now you have two, three, four children. And, and it goes so fast. And just like that, they're teenagers. And I would like to just encourage you. There, there's, it is so important in this chapter to stay in this chapter and, and take the time. I'm not sure that just a little quality time is what you need to raise children in a world like we're in today. And I just, I just, uh, and that's neither here nor there, but quality time is fine, but it goes so fast. And I'd just like to encourage you, take the time to work together, take the time to play together. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the other nations. But it displeased Samuel when they said that, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. He went to tell the Lord on him. And I don't know if he was feeling a little bit... uh sometimes when your son does something wrong and he's accused, you feel the pain because you know that your influence and so forth was partly to, to blame for that. But uh, And I don't know what all Samuel was feeling, but he went and it hurt his feelings. He was sad about it and he went to tell the Lord about it. And the Lord says, hey... This happens. They, these people have a tendency to walk away from me. And it's not you they're uh, rejecting, but it's me they're rejecting. And he tries to make him feel a little bit better. Verse 7, And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day I brought them out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they shall be, wherewith all, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. They, they, they do this. My people, I've struggled with them, but prone to wonder. And, uh, don't you be feeling this here is all your fault. They, the, these people want this. And the Lord tells him an interesting thing. He says, Now therefore hearken unto their voice, howbeit yet protest solemnly. Um, they have a habit of walking away from me, but give them what they want, but warn them. Tell them, okay, here's how it's going to be. And show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. And Samuel told all the words to the people, uh, words of the Lord unto the people that asked him for a king. And they said, they want a king anyway. And he said in verse 11, and I find this so interesting and apply it to the kingdoms of the world today. He said, you know what? You can have an earthly king rule over you, but he's going to put heavy burdens on you. He's going to take money from you and he's going to use it for his people, his sons and his family. He's going to make it miserable for you. He's going to 
charge you taxes on every place he can, on the trucks and on the farms and on everything else. Your people are going to have to bake for him. They're going to have to make candy for him. They're going to have to do all this stuff for him. And he's going to take all that he can from you. That's what kings do. That's what governments do, he said. And verse 11, and he said, they will be the ma- this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots, and to be his horsemen, and some shall run before his chariot. And he will appoint him captains over a thousand and captains over fifties. And he will set them to ear his ground, to reap his harvest, and to make his instruments of war and instruments of his chariots. And he will take your daughters to be confectionaries and to be cooks and to be bakers. And he will take your fields and your vineyards and your olive yards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. And he will take the tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. And he will take your men servants and your maid servants and your goodliest young men and your asses and put them to his work. And he will take the tenth of your sheep and he shall, and you shall be his servants. And ye shall cry out in that day because of your king, which ye have chosen, which ye shall have chosen you. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. Governments do that. Governments have done that back then. What was their answer? When the Lord laid all this out to them, we don't care. Give us a king. We want a king. And nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said to him, Nay, but we will have a king over us. They, that we also may be like the nations, all the nations, and that the king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles for us. And Samuel heard the words of the people and rehearsed them in the ear of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, do what they say. Let's give them a king. I think of today how sometimes as Christians we tend to try to get involved in politics and say our say what we think about President Trump or President uh, whatever, uh, whoever it is, and we try to, we get all stirred up about this. But you know, kings will be kings, and they'll stand as long as God lets them, and then they won't be kings anymore. But there's no security. I cringe when I hear someone say, we have the mightiest uh, military in the world. And I think, oh, with just a little finger, uh, it could all go away. Just, just a little nudge or a little push would make it. We can't trust in today's government. But we as a people have a tendency to want more security. We, we don't, and it's because of how we don't understand our faith is a little wobbly in Christ. We don't, uh, we, we don't trust the way we should. If you turn to Colossians now, it's Paul looking at 
Colossians and looking at Jesus. And there's just a few verses there that we want to look at here. Not the whole chapter. But the thing that I'm thinking about is the supremacy and the sufficiency of putting our faith and our trust and all of our uh, all of our uh, thoughts into the Lord, into Jesus, into King Jesus. Supremacy means the authority or the superiority or the sovereignty, and sufficiency is it's enough. Jesus is enough, and He's looking. He's looking at uh, making a case for this, and I was so blessed by it. So he he prays for the church at Colossians. He's never even been there, but he has a friend that's over there visiting him in, in jail, and he's praying for him often. And it starts like that, and he's saying, uh, I, "I hear there's a couple of problems you have there, and I'd like to address them." And here's where he starts. Here's where he uh, grabs a hold. And basically he's saying, in Christ is where we put our trust. In Christ alone is a, is a song uh, by Geddes wrote the song there. And then there's a, a big group uh, wanted to include that in their songbooks, in their hymnal. And I'm purposely not saying the group so you don't go there. But there's a big national group that looked at that song, studied that song, and they said, hey, um, it all looks pretty good, and we'd like to include that in our hymn book, but we'd like to make a little bit of a tweak there. And he talked to the Gettys who wrote the song, Husband and Wife, and the song says, Till on the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. And they said that last phrase gives us a little bit of hesitation. The wrath of God was satisfied. They said, could you change that to the love of God was magnified? And they said, well, that doesn't work with the verse that we took to write that song, to write that phrase. Um, And so they said, we'd like to keep it just as it is. And so it ended up in non-inclusion in their hymn. Didn't didn't get in the hymn. But it, it sparked a debate about propitiation and whether it was a thing for sure or not. And they discussed that there, but it didn't didn't get along. And it should have been in there. It would be my feeling. I feel like as you take the verses of that song, whether you like it or not, and I'm not so uh, impressed with the tune, but they each each verses or each verse of the song is based on verses out of the Bible. And that's what changes us because of what Christ did for us. That's what changes us. Education, legislation has a hard time changing anything in us. It doesn't make us new people. Um, People say, boy, if we could just educate you guys, you would agree with us. If we could just... People would make the right choices if they know, if they'd be educated. But we don't. 
do we? Uh, like in Europe, I'm told on their cigarette packs need to sell, and I'm not sure on this, but I read that it's a white pack, and it basically says, this stuff will kill you. But people walk into the store and say, give me two packs. You know, they, they don't, that doesn't, they don't under, they know that now. They're educated, but that isn't, that doesn't give them the power or the desire or the motivation or the heart to change. And the remedy is for what Christ has done for us. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16. For by Him, Christ, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. Your life depends, if you're going to make it through the day today, and if Trump is going to make it through the day, and if Bernie Sanders is going to make it through the day, and if Elizabeth Warren is going to make it through the day, it depends on whether he says that's okay or not. They consist, all things consist for him and because of him, and because he's allowing it. You aren't going to make it out of today unless he decides you can. There's a couple of us sitting here that had a brush this past year. And it's just a blessing to have us sitting all in the same room here. And let's thank the Lord for that. But unless God, we're here because He said we're going to be here. And if He had decided anything, we consist, all of us, those of us who had a, a fall and those of us who didn't, all of us consist because He decided we're not done yet here. Verse 18, And He is the head of the body, the church. He has the final say-so in the church. Who is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that all things He might have preeminence. God is our King. Christ is our King. Christ is the one we put our trust in. And He alone deserves our alliance. In closing, unbelievers tend to focus on self. And they have this thing, I deserve, I am great, and science is the answer. Religion tends to make you tribal. All the different religions in the world, we have... We're better, we're wiser, we're favored, and they talk down to others that aren't in their tribe. We have the secret sauce. And nobody but our small group has the secret sauce. But when we place, when we're Christians, when we place our strength, our, our trust in the Lord, it makes us capable of sacrificing for others. The question was, why did you do that? And his answer was, I'm a Christian. And that was challenging to me. 
In Christ alone, my hope is found. Let's kneel for prayer. Lord, help us to grasp the truth that it's in Christ alone. Forgive us when we look for security and fulfillment elsewhere, in another person, in another organization, in another king, in another country. Thank you for the sufficiency of Christ. In Christ alone our hope is found. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.